Hi, this is Pastor Paul Steele from Bethlehem Church in Austin, Minnesota. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. And as we open the Bible together, my prayer is that this will be just the right message for this time in your life. May it be a blessing to you in this Advent season. Now, on to the sermon. This morning, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. So we continue on with this uh, series for Advent. I don't know if you have ever stopped and just contemplated the amazing time in which we live. Because we live in an amazing time, and I, I think sometimes we just take it for granted. But even the poorest of us in our culture lives better than royalty did in the Middle Ages, in, in, med, in medieval times. Th- think about it. Think about it. Kings and queens had to, at the best, ride in a carriage... And we can drive in a car with air conditioning or with a heater. They had to to pay the greatest, you know, the best actors and stuff to come and entertain them. And we can just stream it onto our TVs, the best actor, the best movies, the best stories. They would often eat spoiled food because they couldn't, preserve it, and yet we have an abundance of food, and sometimes it spoils, and we throw it out because we don't want to get sick. We live in an amazing time, and yet Americans are not happy. According to a Gallup poll that they do every year that came out in February, across 29 different measurements, just 38% of Americans say they're satisfied with their lives. 38%. In 2020, so this is right before the pandemic hits, 48% said they were satisfied. In 2021, it was 41%. So you can see that it continues to go down. The General Social Survey, which is something that's been taken every year since 1972, they found that 24% indicated that they were not happy. 24% indicated they were not happy, which is a record high. And 19% said that they were very happy, which is a record low. And so people are, are feeling like they're not happy. And then when you add into the, the reality that we're dealing with epidemic levels of depression, of drug and alcohol abuse, of suicide, all, in spite of our technology, in spite of our wealth, in spite of everything that we think should make us happy and joyful, as a culture, we're struggling to find joy. Now, Mary lived in a culture that was very hard and difficult. Remember, at that time, 
90% of people lived at poverty level or below, which basically means if you want to eat that day, you have to work. Hard work was necessary just for survival. Luxuries, or the, 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 the simplest of comforts would have been seen as luxuries. And on top of that, they were ruled by the Roman Empire. And the Romans had no trouble with, say, with imposing high taxes on the people that they ruled. And they had no problem with using violence to keep people in line. And in midst of all of this, Mary still was able to experience joy. See, Mary was probably 14 or 15 years old when Gabriel came to tell her that she had been chosen by God to be the mother of the Messiah. She was probably nervous and a little afraid, like most people are who God calls. Like, think about everybody. Moses and Gideon, David, they all had their moments of fear and anxiety and wondering, like, how is this all going to work out? And Mary probably was no different. But she also had this very important question. She asked Gabriel, well, how is this all going to work, right? I'm a virgin. How, how, how is this all going to take place? How, what, you know, what's the next step here? This is, this is an important question because we know, well, one is it shows us that Mary knew where babies came from. You know, there as a culture, they knew where babies came from. It was also an important question because she knew her history. Right? Abraham and Sarah tried to take on the promise of, of having a child in their own way, and they messed things up. So she asked this question. Right? Am I supposed to wait till I get married? Because that still could be a couple years away yet. Am I supposed to go and pressure Joseph and say, hey, we better move this wedding date up a little soon, sooner? Was there somebody else besides Joseph that she should be looking out for? You know, like, what is she supposed to do? What's the next step for her to take? And Gabriel honors her question and says, hey, the child that you're going to bear is going to come from God. The Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. You're going to conceive. Like, this shouldn't surprise us. This shouldn't, like, uh, like that can't happen because we're dealing with the creator of the universe, right? If he creates human beings out of the dust of the ground, he certainly can create a human being from an egg in a womb, right? It's not impossible for God. In fact, Gabriel will tell Mary, nothing is impossible with God. Your, your relative Elizabeth in her old age is pregnant because nothing is impossible with God. Hold on 
to that reality. And so Mary hears all of this, and she travels from Nazareth down to somewhere in Judah to spend time with her older relative, Elizabeth. And when she comes, right, when she arrives at Zechariah and Elizabeth's house, and she greets Elizabeth, the baby John in Elizabeth's womb leaps. And Elizabeth is overcome by the Holy Spirit. And she prophesies. And she says, man, what did I do to be blessed with such an honor that the mother of my Lord would come and visit me? Like, this is a big deal. And she says all these kind words about Mary. And how does Mary respond? So let's take a look here at at, uh, Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 40. With, with uh, Luke 46, or verse 46. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones, and he has exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful, for he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then went back to her own home. So this is the first song of four found at the beginning of Luke. So Luke kind of opens his gospel with these songs, with these praises to God. We have this one. We have the one that we looked at last week with Zechariah. You have the angel song in chapter 2. And then you have the song of Simeon when they take Jesus to dedicate him at the temple. So four songs praising God for what he has done. The theme of Mary's song, much like what we saw last week, is of God's faithfulness. God has been faithful. I think this is crucial to remember. That so often what we celebrate at Christmas, we celebrate, you know, the giving of gifts. We celebrate uh, we celebrate the, the, the fact that we have new life. We, we celebrate what God has done for us. But what's the foundation of all of that? Why does all of that happen? Does it happen because we're good? Does it happen because we've, we've obeyed God so well? No, it happens because of God's faithfulness. 
It happens because of who God is. It happens because of what God has promised to his people. And may we never forget the faithfulness of God. Because no matter what we go through in life, the ups and downs of life, what's going to get us through, it's not our strength. It's not even our faith. It's God's faithfulness. It's God's loyalty to us. It's God, it's the fact that God keeps his promises and we can count on him. It is God's faithfulness that allows us to look forward to hope, with hope, to Jesus' return. God's faithfulness. And notice also Mary's expectation of justice. That the Messiah will come and he is going to right the wrongs of this world. He's going to judge the proud and the haughty, those who are who sit in, in seats of power, who, who oppress those under them. God is going to, to uh, he's going to exalt the humble. He's going to give food and good things to the poor, to the hungry. He's going to act mercifully towards his people. He's going to help them. So it's this expectation that God is going to bring justice into this world. He's going to make things right. He's going to restore his creation to its original design. That was what they were hoping for. And so this song is evidence of the great hope that the nation of Israel had in the coming of the Messiah. Mary is really just echoing the hope of the faithful remnant in Israel that this was going to happen. This was their expectation. And I would put forth today, it is also the type of hope that we should have in the second coming of Jesus. Our hope in the second coming of Jesus isn't just the fact that we will experience eternal life. Our hope in the second coming of Jesus is that he will return and he will make everything right. That he will restore God's good creation. That is what we're longing for. That is what we're hoping for. And so our hearts should sing forth to along with Mary's, as we wait with expectation, with hope of Jesus' return, of justice finally happening, of experiencing life the way God created it to be. So Mary had hope, but we also see here that Mary had joy. And there are two reasons why Mary said she had joy. Mary had joy because of God's actions towards her. This is what she says in, in uh, verses 48 and 49. Oh, let's go 
back to verse 46. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She has joy in her heart. Why? For he took notice of this lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. Her soul, her heart rejoices. Why? Because of what God has done for her. God noticed this humble and faithful peasant girl. She knew the promises. And she believed that God would be faithful to keep them. And perhaps, perhaps she was even praying that she might have this honor of being the mother of the Messiah. And God noticed her faith and her love. He provided for her. And she knew something that Elizabeth had just said, but it's probably something that she had thought about too, is that she knew that because she was going to be the mother of the Messiah, she was going to be remembered from generation to generation. God was merciful towards her. He had blessed her. And she was confident, too, that because of this calling, God would provide for what she needed, that he would equip her to accomplish this calling. And I think it's crucial for us, if we're going to have joy, to remember what God has done for us to reflect on those realities. Because if we just live in the moments, if we base our faith on what is happening to us at any one time, it's going to be easy to get disoriented. It's going to be easy to lose our way. It's going to be easy to forget God's goodness. And it's quite frankly one of the reasons why so many people walk away. Because they base God's love and his faithfulness on what he has done for them recently. Like, well, if I'm going through this, this must be evidence that God doesn't love me, that God doesn't exist, or whatever. It's a crucial part of faith to think about, to meditate on, to ponder the blessings that God has given to us. So what has God done for us? And I know we should be grateful and we need to think about those big Sunday school answers of the fact that that God has blessed us with salvation, that he has given us eternal life in Jesus. But But the reality is, because those are so much into the future, it's easy to forget about them. It's easy to think, don't, it's easy not to see the connection with how they, they play out in our life. And at times they can seem like they'll never happen. And so we need some concrete things to think about, to remember how has God blessed our lives?
As I reflect on this, this question this week, how has God blessed my life? Like one of the biggest things that God has done for me is the fact that he has given me a family with such a tremendous faith legacy. My grandparents, my parents, my siblings. Like that has been a huge blessing for me, right? God's blessed me by, by leading Jenny and I together. And, you know, like, like we've talked about that story before. Like it just wouldn't have happened without God's intervention. Right? From that, he's blessed us with three wonderful kids. And he's even blessed me with this honor of being here. Like God has blessed my life in so many different ways. And it's important for me to think about that reality, to think about that and be grateful and thank God for it. So joy often comes, not only from hope, but also our gratitude that God has given us good things. The second reason Mary had joy was because of God's actions for his people. Verses 50. Through 55. Yes, he shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich, the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. See, part of the reason why Mary and the faithful remnant of Israel could look forward to the day where God would deliver them is because God had shown up in the past. Part of the reason why some of this is, this is in the past tense because God's mighty arm had delivered them from, Israel, from Egypt. God's mighty arm had delivered them from all the different Canaanite oppressions. God's mighty hand had delivered them from Babylon and brought them back. God's mighty hand had been at work. And so Mary found joy in the fact that God was at work in their lives, in their nation. But the basis of that work, the foundation of it, just as we saw last week in Zechariah's song, is God's mercy. And that word mercy can also be translated as God's loyal love. And in the Hebrew, as I mentioned last week, Hesed. This is a crucial idea. It's a crucial theme in Scripture. God is a God of covenant. He makes covenant with his people. And the reason that we can count on those covenants, the reason that we can believe that God will keep his covenant, his promise, is because of his loyal love. His loyal love for his people, for his creation. 
He's not going to forget us. He's not going to, he's not, he, he, he's not, he's not going to disown us. He's not going to forget about us. No, his loyal love compels him to keep his promises, to work for us, to bring salvation and life to his people. It's the reason why he made a covenant with Abraham. Right? Remember, the key passage, the key chapter in the Bible is Genesis chapter 12. When God makes a covenant with Abraham and promises that through your descendants, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world. It's his loyal love that caused him to make a covenant with Abraham's descendants through Moses at Mount Sinai. It's his loyal love that that caused God to make a covenant with David and say, hey, I'm going to bring a king through your descendants. It's his loyal love that brought Jesus. And why can we continue to count on the second coming of Jesus? Because of God's loyal love. He continues to be merciful to his people. God continues to work in this world through his people. And so we continue to see God's blessing as the church grows. Yeah, we may see some hardships here in the United States with the church, but the church is exploding in other parts of this world. Why? Because of God's loyal love. And so we find joy in the reality that God loves his people. When we base our joy on the circumstances of our lives, there's a good possibility we're going to end up in that 62% of Americans who are unsatisfied with our lives. We're uncontent. We see nothing but bad around us. We wonder where we, who we are. And in spite of all the wonderful things that we may have in our lives, the things that make life easier, we miss out on joy and we miss out on happiness. Lasting joy comes from our relationship with God, with his actions toward us, his faithfulness to his covenant, that reality that we can be confident that God will keep his promises. So here's our bottom line this morning. Our bottom line is this. Our joy comes from God's work in our lives. Our joy comes from God's work in our lives. We need to know what God is up to. We need to know and remember that God hasn't forgotten us. Even in our most difficult circumstances, God is still there. And because he has blessed us in the past, we can be confident that God will bless us in the future. And so we can have joy regardless of the circumstances around us. Our challenge this week is thank God for the blessings in your life that bring you joy. And be specific 
Yeah, we, it's easy to, to pray, a, pay, prayer, pray a prayer of generic things. Thank you, God. But specifically, what has God done in your life that brings you joy? We can have joy in this life because what God has done. Advent is the season where we reflect on the first coming of Jesus as a way to prepare our hearts for his return. And even if your life might be filled with darkness, I, I hope that you will be encouraged because you remember that we have hope because God keeps his promises, because God kept his promise to send the Messiah the first time, we can be confident that Jesus will return and make everything right. May God continue to bless you.